Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget, in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Labelled Podcast and our special uh, spotlight series all about disability technology. This is a month's worth of episodes where we bother you every week instead of every other week uh, to talk about disability-related things. Uh, this time round, it's all about technology. Um, we, I'm joined today, as usual, by my wonderful co-host Lucy. Hello, how are you? Alex? I'm okay. I thank thought you were going to forget about me there. I was like, um, excuse me, hello, <laughs> <laughs> hello. Yes, you're you're very easily forgettable, Lucy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quiet as a mouse. <laughs> and uh, our special guest today is uh, Os Keys, who's joining us from. Seattle over in the United States, which is very exciting. Uh, Os, would you like to introduce yourself and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you and why you have been so unfortunate to be dragged onto this podcast? I mean, I wouldn't, I would say I don't think it's that exciting at my end. Like, I'm from Harrow, to be clear. <laughs> um, but the, the closest thing to excitement that, that we have is... Um, you know, someone stealing a car, uh, or 10, or setting them on fire. My childhood was fantastic. I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, I'm here because I'm a PhD student at the University of Washington, uh, where I study um, artificial intelligence and sort of just technology more broadly, uh, with a particular focus on gender, disability, and race, and how these things uh, intersect. Basically, listeners, right up our alley. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I was doing some random Googling. I uh, saw a, an abstract for something that uh, Oss had written. And I went, yep, yep, I'll have that. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, Alice was like, where can I find them? <laughs> uh, so, Oss, if you would like to take the reins and, I mean, I know less than zero about artificial intelligence um other than you know these these paranoid threats that they're gonna yeah, it's gonna, gonna take say, over the is world gonna keep us up at night after we talk to to you is it gonna be like oh god i can't go to sleep now um i guess the the positive way of framing it would be it's not going to keep you up at night for any more reasons than society already keeps okay, you up at night fine. <laughs> <You're all right. laughs> it's fine <laughs> yeah like, like it's not, this is, is sort of the crucial thing about AI is as you, as you point to, you know, there are people, particularly people involved in AI development in like big ways who kind of portray it as this, you know, potentially limitless technology of you can create a machine that's fully sentient and like better than us. And like, they kind of picture a Skynet um, yeah. scenario. Mm -hmm. And weirdly you get this the most from people in AI, people like the uh, Sam Altman, who runs OpenAI, and like the big names at Google, they're always talking about the existential threat 
of AI. Yeah. And this is a really convenient, like it doesn't sound convenient to talk about, oh, by the way, we're building something that could like kill everyone and turn your children into like robots that stalk you through time or whatever. Um, it's been a while since I watched the Terminator films, I'll be honest. Um, I think that's, that's but, a reasonably accurate yeah, description. Broadly, it's <laughs> all those words appear in the films, I'm yeah. sure. And Schwarzenegger, um, that's kind of all you need to know. Yes. I, I will say, as a slight aside, one of my favorite pieces of Schwarzenegger trivia is that, uh, so he was actually, he actually offered to record the German language dub Amazing. of um, the original, like, Terminator film, <laughs> and the studio said no, wow. because... Because he's from Austria, and the Austrian accent in German is kind of like stereotyped as the yokel accent. Really? So just imagine imagine a Somerset Terminator. <laughs> yeah. And you get kind of the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be back, yeah, my so lover. <laughs> right? Um, but, so, yeah, it's, it's weird to say that it perhaps that it might be convenient for them to portray it as like AI is this limitless technology that's going to eat your brains. Mm -hmm. um, but it is convenient because it does two things. The first is it makes it sound like what they're doing is really powerful and important. And the second is it distracts from the current costs, the actual costs of, and consequences of AI, right? Because if we're talking about um, Skynet and how we need to protect against Skynet, yeah. then we're not going to be protecting against or talking about anything else related to it. In the same way that, you know, uh, it's, it's really, really convenient in some ways to talk about uh, making sure that drugs are effective and that there aren't any you know scams going on and we've got really strong regulations around drugs because it distracts attention from the more practical and mundane questions of like okay but what's the profit margin mm -hmm. on drugs on the nhs yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. you know that everything can be justified by saying oh well we need it for more um you know, like more regulatory efficacy in the same way that uh, with AI, you can say, oh, well, we're trying to protect against Skynet. And anytime someone tries to change the conversation, they go, but Skynet. Yeah. I mean, I literally uh, found out about three weeks ago that something that I am uh, prescribed, I don't pay for my prescriptions, but if I did pay for my prescriptions, it would cost me nine pounds something per go. It's only four pounds something over the counter. So it costs the NHS Jesus. a full five pounds extra. Honestly, every time, ridiculous, um, isn't it? And I to think... be fair, three of those pounds, I'm sure, are like essential profit for some private public partnership run by a Tory donor. <laughs> like you can't, and and you can't dismiss that. No, exactly. The the importance of lining Tories' pockets because you know when climate change ends the world the tories will need all of our drug filled disabled bodies to float on because there will be no yeah. more land yeah, um, exactly not that we're but, making um, it political and, no. and i think no of course not i think that unfortunately you cannot have a conversation about ai without getting a bit political because from my tiny tiny bit of understanding about ai actually fundamentally the the thing that it is used for most is uh selling us stuff and making a profit from us, uh, you know, by, yeah. so, yeah. So I think that that, that is um, the mainstream use of AI. Yeah, like one way or another, it, it is all about profit. And uh, I think Skunk and Nancy said it best in the mid nineties, like, yes, it's fucking political. Everything's political. Yeah. Um, great song, very missed band. But <laughs> the thing with AI though is first off, yeah, a lot of it is about profit, 
a lot of it is about power, a lot of it is about control. But the second thing is it's actually not as impressive or complicated as it sounds. You know, the, one of the attractions of talking about Skynet is it makes it sound like, oh, we're designing this like big, unique thing that, you know, has completely unique problems and solutions and only we, the deep experts, can really understand it. Here's how AI actually works in practice. Um, most of the systems that you look at that people say is AI is basically just a really, really big Excel pivot table. <laughs> that's it. it. It's That's largely what it is. It looks through and it just does probabilistic, like, okay, these line up, so it should probably yeah, behave this yeah. way. It just does it really, really fast. So there you um, go, Lucy. You're good at a spreadsheet. You could do I do it. love a spreadsheet, don't I? <laughs> I love it. When Alice says to me, I need a spreadsheet, I'm like, yes, I'm here. I'll help you. <laughs> In that case, I'm sad to say you might actually be overqualified oh, to be involved in AI really, development. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, they. I, I said that they were doing the work. I didn't say they were doing the work competently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's basically the the point I'm trying to make is it's actually really mundane in practice, right? If you um, like, let's look at uh, something that's really common around disability in Australia and has been pretty roundly criticised, which is. Um, that they decided to use sort of like these big modeling systems, these automated decision systems to try and work out like who was taking benefits, who shouldn't have benefits and yeah. like, you know, who needed to pay more tax. Uh -huh. And the inevitable outcome of this was, of course, that people died. Um, but the way that it actually worked was just a big table of all of the data that they had about like, you know, who paid things back, who didn't, what the the signs were that tended to correlate with who would pay things back um, or who would be cheating. And, you know, a human can do that. In fact, humans regularly do do that. Those are, you know, the formal term is heuristics, right? Just like yeah. rules of thumb, basically. Yeah. And AI is just a way of very, very quickly developing and then making decisions based on rules of thumb. That's it. It's people, but faster. And so a lot of the problems you run into with AI and a lot of the things that tend to concern me are can best be summarized as like society, but faster. Yeah. Like, you know, the question with disability is not whether we can, for example, um, as Elon Musk has been claiming, like, you know, use a combination of AI and neurosurgery to like give disabled people who like are paraplegic, like the ability to walk again. The questions are more mundane and more prosaic. They are, are those people going to be foisted into below minimum wage jobs, like, you know, processing the data for AI mm -hmm. in the same fucking way that disabled people have been thrown into mid below minimum wage jobs for centuries and told that it's good for them. And like, you know, you're giving back to society and you're, you're like having an opportunity. You're part of or, society. Um, exactly. Yeah. Or it's, le it's less like, are we going to replace all the doctors with like algorithms and put all the doctors out of work and like have some kind of medical genius machine and it's more will they use the existence of like medical ai that kind of vaguely sort of works if you squint don't look at it too hard and concuss yourself with a brick beforehand to make doubly sure that you you're not paying close enough attention like to as an excuse for why they're not bothering to train doctors or provide care and then because shit flows downhill you know deploy them uh to poor people disabled people in marginalized communities generally first 
who will then get worse medical care. Like it's it's the same uh, problems with AI are in many respects like the same problems with that we're having already, just yeah. faster and with a greater concentration of power. Well, and yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about you know the example you gave of uh, Australian benefit system. It's exactly what we see over here with the DWP is a bunch of people in you know call centers and offices deciding whether you're disabled enough based on a form that you have to fill in where there is only a limited amount of information you can yeah. truly give to express get, exactly yeah, what you're if, if you can bear holding on for four hours on the phone and risk being cut off before you even manage to speak to somebody yeah. it's just yeah yep you know like i've um I, I will say that like for example um and i can say this for a couple of reasons one of which is that i am certain she will never listen to this podcast because that would require her paying any attention um, and also her caring about anything. But um, interestingly, my uh, father's second wife, calling her a stepmother implies a closer relationship with my parents than I actually have. Right. Um, my father's second wife actually works in benefits assessment for the UK government. And I have never met anyone with less empathy or frankly, a stronger claim to, like, you know, be pensioned out mm -hmm. in my entire life in any d discipline and domain. So, like, I'm not sure that speeding that person up so that they can <laughs> make, make a decision. Yeah. Exactly, like, make more cynical and biased decisions, yes, exactly. right? Um, is, is necessarily, yeah, I'm not sure that the solution to that is, well, what if they impacted more people? And that's essentially what a lot of the time AI is, pro is proposing, because it's ultimately based on, you know, the society we have now. It's um, looking at the problems that people who already have power think are problems. Um, it is trained on, like, it learns from the decisions that have already been made. So it ends up... Um, smuggling in all of the shit that we're already mm -hmm. dealing with but faster and also yeah. with less ability to sort of challenge it because we're constantly told like oh this is magic you wouldn't understand you know it's too special so i think as well what because people like still are unsure about it they don't know much about it i think that also frightens people because they don't know much about it and also like i've used chat gpt a few times for bits and pieces for the podcast that help just help like outline documents and stuff but um i think like if you if you were to watch chat gpt come up with whatever you you've asked it to come up with it does it really quickly and it like it's that speed you're talking about that people go oh i don't like it's too fast it's far too fast like there's no cognitive thought behind it it's just because it's just generating stuff yeah that's what people people automatically assume it's a human little alien <laughs> Well, and I think that that's the thing is, is, is exactly what you were saying, Oss, is it's about that. Um, it's, it's built, it's built on human bias, but it's not actually then got the actual common sense and consciousness and intellectual, uh, uh, sort of flexibility of an actual human. So it is basically like, you know, you've put, it's random word association, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you put it all in a box and you grab a fistful of it and go, there you go. That'll do. Yeah. Send. Um, <laughs> and it's, and, and it is, it's really interesting to hear you talking about it and comparing it 
to that kind of it is exactly that scaremongering of the skynet yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of uh world because it and it's it's all over the news at the moment you know there's there's uh you know actors and artists on strike because they're worried about being replaced by ai there are teachers worrying about kids writing their essays using ai and it's that sort of it is this the media the mainstream media is making a really big deal about how dangerous ai is um yeah. without actually focusing on what the dangers of ai are i am just Absolutely. now thinking it's an excel spreadsheet <laughs> makes you stop worrying I mean, about it <laughs> Like, it's essentially, but I, I guess I'd say, like, two things. The first is, I think it's really interesting that you bring up the sort of chat GPT, like, people assume it's a person. Um, so assuming those kind of, like, conversational algorithmic tools are people is what's known as the ELISA effect. Really? And it's named after the very first, like, conversational AI, which was developed by a guy called Joseph Weizenbaum. Um, and Weizenbaum later like turned against AI after about 30 years in the field, because like this is a direct quote. He says, um, historically, the computer arrived just in time, in time to save and save very nearly intact, indeed to entrench and stabilize social and political structures that otherwise might have been either radically renovated or allowed to totter under the demands that were sure to be made of them. In other words, like the guy who founded the whole domain of things like ChatGPT was like, these tools are ultimately used to preserve existing systems of power and to take existing problems and make them worse. Yeah. And, you know, like to stop people from changing them. And, and the second is like, I agree, they are just essentially really big spreadsheets. Um, but as the example that we've been talking about of, um, you know, like uh, benefits access suggests, right? Spreadsheets have a lot of power yeah. in society. Um, and, and yeah, like the central, I guess the central, the reason uh, that I said at the beginning, you know, I don't think you'll be uh, up at night for any reasons that you're not already up at night, right? <laughs> Is um, because of this, because it's not new problems. It's just old problems, but with like an Intel sticker on yeah, the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's... I think it's really interesting because I also do think that there is um, a there are people, particularly I think within the the disability community, um, and you know our disability tech fans and geeks and stuff out there who actually see AI as really empowering for the disabled mm. community. Um, we've got uh, coming on as part of our bonus content for this series um, a a uh, fantastic person I know named John who's going to talk to us a little bit about how he uses AI as a visually impaired person um, and how you know it can be hugely empowering for for people but it's really interesting to kind of hear the sort of see the other side of the coin um, from what you're talking about. I think yeah like to be clear I think that AI can or could be super empowering um, you know I the, the two areas that I've studied most are around um, visual impairments and autism um, in different respects. In fact, I think the abstract that you probably ran into was a collaboration with um, Cindy Bennett, who is this amazing researcher whose work on uh, like visual impairment and design and like the design process is just incredible. And we were looking specifically at, at tools for visual impairment, at things like, you know, um, replacing or augmenting canes with like 
computer vision systems that can tell you like what's in front of you or wow. who's in front of you. Because um, like, as, or... as a visually impaired person, the the worst thing about a cane is that is the is I mean it's not the worst thing. There's lots of horrible things about a cane that I hate. But one of the things about it is you come up against an obstacle and then you have to go. You have to work your way around it, and as part like, of that, what you have the to... hell is that? Yeah, like yeah. you know, your cane will find something, and it could be a bench, it could be a bollard, it could just be it could be a bin. A... Yeah, a bin. It could be a shopping trolley. You've got to work your way around the obstacle to carry on yeah. with your route, and in doing so, you usually sort of discover what it is. The reason I like my yeah. guide dog is because we we don't fuck around and we just get on with where we're going. It's just, just like, totally. yeah, just walk around the thing. Um, but it is, there is a thing, there is an element to, you know, it would almost be useful if you could come up against something and go, oh, it's bench. It gives yeah, you an yeah. understanding of going, okay, so I've probably got to walk a couple of feet to my, whereas if it's a bollard or a bin, you know mm -hmm. that you yeah. can get around it in one step. It's, it, yeah, yeah. it would be useful. 100 percent um but it's it's a question so it's a question less of like could ai be useful in theory and more about the practice, practice the yeah. fact that the ai systems tend to be developed in a way that is you know firstly it's by very large companies who are usually for profits mm -hmm. um second they don't let anyone see the secret source there is no like you know participation no. um in in designing it um, and third, like all the benefits really are designed to concentrate with the company. So like to use the, the to go back to like the cane example, because I think this is a, a really good one. Um, imagine that like there was a cane that could detect like bollards and benches, right? Yeah. Except um, the cane costs 500 quid. Um, it won't detect anything that the bloke who designed the uh, cane didn't think existed when yeah. you designed it mm -hmm. and also it's actively illegal for you to tell the cane oh this object is um you know a bench if yeah. the designer didn't think that benches were a thing or didn't think of benches mm -hmm. at all um the company can go out of business at any time at which point your cane just stops working mm -hmm. uh and the cane is constantly live streaming all of your data about where you are traveling to the company yeah. and that's like that's sort of the problem it's not so much like oh yeah like you know, it's not, you know, AI systems couldn't be useful. There are a thousand ways in which AI systems could be useful uh, in uh, in and around like disability. It's more an issue of like, you know, the existing stuff that we're used to, right? Which like when people design for disabled people, a lot of the time it's actually just to make themselves look good and they don't actually give a shit about long-term support. Um, you know, a lot of the time it's, they're trying to get something out of it like, you know, these are existing problems that we've, like, we're already well aware of. And, like, exactly the same problems are happening with AI. Um, the, you know, one of my uh, personal favorite examples here is uh, from some of my autism research, including, uh, I think it's described most in a paper that I'm just submitted with uh, Kerry Makarath at, at uh, Cambridge. Um, and it's on a company called Affectiva who design uh, emotion recognition technology which Ugh. claims to do what it says on the tin. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. Um, and I ended up sitting in on, as like one of the expert witnesses, a meeting of like the European Green Party, like MEP cluster yeah, 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 yeah. on um, like AI. And they're talking about like, what should we do with the European um, like AI bill? And I had to resist the urge to say, you know, 
I know it's not, not exactly relevant to me. Boris fucked that up for all of us. Um, but I'm sat there and like, you know, this this other autistic person comes in. They uh, are the only representative of the uh, sort of European wide body of like, you know, autism charities mm -hmm. to show up. They are also the only representative from those charities who is actually autistic. Mm -hmm. um, there may be an overlap there. And they explain that, like, you know, emotion recognition for autistic people um, could be, like, incredible in, like, so many ways and et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things I, I sort of pointed to there and still point to is there's this company called um, Affectiva, right? And Affectiva um, is a, or was, like, a big publicity hound around emotional recognition for autistic people. Um, they're one of the companies that really kicked off emotion recognition as a field. And for ages, um, their CEO was like, oh, we're designing this for autistic people, for like autistic children. Like we're going to yeah. teach them, we're going to fix them, like mm. all of this gross shit, right? Um, but then of course, so the company takes all this data from autistic people and accepts charity funding to develop this technology for autistic people. At no point do they bother um, asking whether autistic people actually want it. That That's is exactly what I was thinking. As soon as she like, said it, I thought, I don't know a single autistic person who'd be like, you know what I really need? I need a, a bot that tells me when someone's happy. That's not what autistic yeah. people want. Yeah, Agreed. it's like when when you see wheelchairs that can go upstairs, like, and they're like, oh, we've invented this wheelchair that can go, I don't want that. I don't want that. It looks frightening. Stop it. Yeah. I just put just put a ramp in. I'm sure there's an easier solution right? to yeah. the problem. But the the other interesting aspect of it though, because like that is one angle. In fact, reading the CEO's autobiography is uh, an ex like an exercise in like personal restraint. Because on the one hand, I'm an archivist and formal li uh, former librarian, and on the other <laughs> hand, there were many pages that made me want to take the book and incinerate it possibly in a salt circle so that none of the demons clearly <laughs> contained within could escape and haunt others and at, the, at one point it, she's like clear that even the idea to like involve or like to to try and like help quote unquote help um autistic people came because like the dad of an autistic kid like came to her and was like could you do this thing like there's not a single autistic person's voice in the entire like goddamn no. thing um, no. She she does end up working with Simon Baron Cohen though. Uh, the answer to, um, you know, how many members of the Baron Cohen family produce like racist, misogynistic, ableist shit is apparently two. There's like Borat and him. Um, but the other aspect of it though is is that uh, Affectiva pivoted, which is um, tech for we weren't making any money, so we gave up. Um, and so they took all this data that they collected about autistic people that they collected under the guise of like, quote unquote, doing good with it. Um, mm -hmm. And then they used it to build a marketing company instead, because yeah. it turns out there isn't actually any money in uh, helping disabled people who, oh, yeah. particularly with a product that but nobody, nobody wants. actually fucking wants, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And if so it's like something useful, then yes, maybe, but yeah. Yeah, but they were like, oh, well, marketing's where the money is, so we'll go do that. And so when we talk about like, should we like enable like emotion recognition? Should we like cheer it on? And we just talk about that in the abstract. What we're really talking about is like, should companies like Affectiva be allowed to like collect a ton of data and grant money that could have gone to other people and then pivot. Mm. And so to me, the bigger question is less like, should we support AI? But 
who's AI and like in what form and how are we supporting it? Like, is it developed? Is is this like you know seeing Kane for example? Is it developed by people with visual impairments? Is it designed in such a way that people can when they run into an object that like the designers didn't think of because like I don't know maybe it's something yeah, local maybe it, it's like a like report like report back and say actually I've walked into this have you ever seen it before exactly and then go no but we can add that to the database of things you may encounter yeah and yeah. like is the database of things you can encounter and the software that runs it is that open open source openly accessible exactly. in other words yeah. if the company that makes the physical canes like tanks can someone with like a GoPro and a Raspberry Pi kind of start another company or like podge something yeah. together to work yeah, yeah. for people who've been yeah. de depending on this? And those are questions that we end up missing when we're just like, is it Skynet? It's mm -hmm. like the problem, the problem in the metaphor of Skynet, let's be clear, is not Skynet is bad. The problem is when you had a military industrial complex that developed a metric shit ton of nuclear weapons and then Skynet, then stuff got bad. Yeah. And so I'm saying, like, yeah, we should protect against Skynet, but we should also say, hey, if there's a system that is capable of developing Skynet, like, that's, in fact, its plan, maybe there's something wrong with the system. Well, and, and f I think the, the thing is that fundamentally, the AI, the development of AI has been absolutely taken up by people who are for profit, not for people. And so any further developments are only going to be building towards how do we make this more effective for profit how do we make this more effective for getting money to the people who it's almost like somebody's gone what's the point of this oh we can make money then crack on kind of i mean that yeah. I, in i would argue in capitalist society that is yeah. what everybody does with everything all the time is go what's the point of <laughs> yeah, this exactly. oh, it's to make some money oh okay well yeah how do we make more money than the money we've made <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's... absolutely. And I would also, I, I say, I think that like there's definitely a profit angle to everything that's going on. Um, I think another aspect of it is is, and this is going to sound like I'm defending defending capitalism, which I am not. To be clear, um, <laughs> I wrote a paper on anarcho-communist computing that basically summarizes my relationship with capitalism. Um, but Another like sort of exacerbating factor maybe is also the sort of structure that the capitalism takes and that the companies take. So a lot of this is developed by, you know, the Googles, the Apples, the so on and so forth, the like the big companies. Um, and that means that a lot of the development is going down lines that isn't just for profit. It's also premised on the understanding that you should have like a couple of free data centers if you want to stand up or use one of these systems. So like ChatGPT, in theory, a lot of the data behind the sort of large language models, which is the, the class of AI that ChatGPT is in, in theory, a lot of the data is open. The data is also designed to be so massive and concentrated that you basically need a free server farm to be able to fuck around with it. Mm. So even though it's open and available and you could try and make a nonprofit doing something to do with it, in practice, like that's the yeah, barrier to entry in is incredibly in hard. Ealing aren't going to be able to make use of that to help support no. their local community. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, this is so that's very optimistic and cheery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So, 
where do where do we go from here? Where does AI go from here? Us, what do you, what do you think in terms of disability and and AI? What what does the yeah, future hold? Yeah, let's weigh up like the positives and the negatives. Where can where can we go from here? Absolutely. So I guess I'd say there are there, and there's another angle I guess which I I haven't talked about and I I briefly should because otherwise I'll forget and it's relevant to my answer that and that is um okay AI, like disabled people's involvement in the development of AI. So um. One of the things I've looked at, for example, is like the use of autistic people as the hand coders, the people who like go through data and market yeah. so that AI can use it. And a lot of the yeah. times, of course, it's portrayed as like because autistic people just love mindless, repetitive tasks mm. and yeah, are really yeah, yeah. like good at detail oriented <laughs> shit. And oh, they're all nerds. And like this is an opportunity to get a job in the tech sector. You will be shocked to know that like this job in the tech sector does not, in fact, come with like, you know, a Google salary. It comes with below minimum yeah. wage. But yeah. so so autistic people uh, and in this particular case and disabled people more generally are treated as like resources as well as markets. Um, and so to me, the question of like, where do we go from here? I, I guess I'll, I'll set out like a positive possibility and a negative possibility. The negative yeah. possibility to start is like the status quo. So it's we keep doing what we're doing, which is uh, people fill up parliamentary subcommittee time with guff about how the real risk is Skynet and so pay no attention to like the profiteer behind the curtain. Um, and we keep treating um, disabled people as either A, an afterthought, or B, a sort of exploitable resource. Mm -hmm. Whether that's exploitable as like employees you don't have to pay as much, who won't ask questions, or exploitable as um, you know, a potential market or exploitable because they're excluded from these AI systems. And so they're vulnerable when there are systems which are built with the presumption that like everyone will have access to this technology. Um, that world is very grim in some respects. Like I've been saying, you know, it's not a new world. Um, it's the, the shit we're already dealing with, but more and faster and harder to unpack. And for those reasons alone, I think it's worth dealing with, even if it's not, there's not much novel about it. Um, the optimistic take though, the like positive world, that's a world where, um, you know, we develop these automated systems, but with a twist. And that twist is that we start designing them in such a way and we start regulating how they're designed in such a way that, um, there is a very low barrier to entry, to remixing them, to reworking them, to, um, making them work for different populations, to reusing them. Yeah. And it is an area where there is no, you know, profit margin where, yeah, like maybe, maybe there is a kind of AI that we really want to see, but like that can be best done by giving a grant to community organizations or like doing it in house as a, as a, a people, a community, even, and I hate to say this as a state, um, not by saying like, you know, oh, well, if we want this done best, the solution is to give it to someone whose actual task, if you think about it, is to do a deliberately subpar job because they're trying to do it as cheaply as possible so they can keep as much of the cut as possible. And they're trying to do it in some ways imperfectly because if you design a system perfectly, you never get called yeah. back for maintenance contracts. Um, so yeah, my more optimistic world is, is one in which the people using the systems and the people impacted by the systems are ultimately the ones who decide 
you know, what is developed and under what conditions it is developed and used and frankly, under what conditions it is evaluated. I'm not so much concerned that like we don't have a protection mechanism for Skynet as I am concerned that we don't have a protection mechanism for, you know, your uh, computer vision cane streaming all of its data to Facebook. Mm. Well, yeah. So we should go and live in a bunker off the grid somewhere? I do sometimes joke that, like, the more research I do, the more I conclude that Ted Kaczynski made some valid points, <laughs> which is a weird position to be in. Like, he, he was a nut, oh, but, yeah. like, oh. stopped clocks and all that. Yep, yep. I, I've not... I mean, obviously, he, he died recently. Uh, heard a, listened to a podcast all about Ted Kaczynski. And it's, you know, obviously, everybody... If you don't know who Ted Kaczynski is, then... Um, I think you're in the wrong place but <laughs> everybody knows who ted kaczynski is and the kicked off you know oh this is a podcast all about ted kaczynski and they started talking about his views and i was like i thought i was supposed to hate him and be terrified of him this is i'm confused this man yeah. sounds quite reasonable in a lot of ways the yeah the other interesting thing about kaczynski in this in this context i think is um the the People think, so he's known as the Unabomber, um, for anyone who, who hasn't heard the name Ted Kaczynski but knows the name Unabomber, now you know, they're the same person. Um, and this was an FBI abbreviation for like universities and airports, because yeah. those are the places that he bombed. And the reason he bombed universities was not because he's a nutter. He was a it was because professor, wasn't he? And so He was a, a math professor, yeah. yeah. Um, like youngest math professor to ever get tenure, at, I think Princeton or like you know say, one of those, one of those fancy yeah, places, MIT or something. Um, but he was also a, in some ways, survivor of academia because when he was an undergrad at UC Berkeley, I think, um, he was basically put in. He volunteered for these psychiatric experiments that basically consisted of researchers paying him five dollars to try and like destroy his psyche and sense of self and self worth. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do well, it. We've had plenty of people on this show who, and you know, from my own experience, have talked about how that higher level, you know, graduate, postgraduate um, academia almost destroyed me. It's yeah. not. Yeah. It's not a warm, fuzzy, welcoming, comforting we, place. No. Well, yeah, we've both had <laughs> a horrific experience at university, yeah. haven't we? Like I've I've definitely had some myself, but in this case I, I'm not even I don't even mean as sort of like a that was the consequence. I mean literally they're in they designed a series of experiments designed to see like how much can yeah, we destroy yeah. one human being. No, I think yeah. my, my um, point was gonna be that, you know, yeah. if, if that is what university is like anyway, to then be like, yeah. Hey, why don't you go and participate hey. in an experiment that's yeah. designed to fuck you up? <laughs> exactly. And like, you, you know, good news you do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like good news from a scientific perspective is their experiment definitely worked. Yeah. But um, congratulations. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's like it's a, a kind of interesting example though because you know even if we're it, let's assume I will assume for the second that um, one tech bro has accidentally um, tuned into this. Um, they were probably looking for like anime porn and they clicked wrong and it's fair. Uh, uh, it's okay. Not that we're it stereotyping here. 
And then they've Not ended up all. on a disability pod- podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, happens. yeah. We do. We um, do have cartoon versions of ourselves out there floating as our uh, original. Yeah, that might do it. <laughs> just, just as long as your feet aren't in it, you're fine. Just no, not the we're stereotyping. <laughs> but just in case there's a tech bro listening to this, I would point out that even if you don't particularly care about disabled people or power, and you think power is the thing that comes out the wall at 240 volts. Um, <laughs> You know, there's a self-interest argument here as well, because treating people as objects and, uh, you know, as as resources to be exploited for your own ends is a really good way of developing insane pipe bombers. And so I'm just like, this is to be clear, if if the uh, CIA or FBI are listening, this is not an active threat. I'm just pointing out that, like, there are completely venal reasons that people should still give a shit about how they treat other people. And this is an area where, yeah, we need to do a lot better. And I think to just cover my own back, because I know I have said some <laughs> slightly insane socialist things in the past. Um, I'm not a Kaczynski like, fangirl. I'm pretty sure he used to pee in jars. That's not really my bag. Um, but, you know, the, not everything the man said was pure insanity. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, like, uh, you know, that meme of, like, the worst person you know just made a valid point, like, this is terrible. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of that. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, no. I think I might be that meme, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm regularly that meme. Like, the last, a couple of months ago, I was reading a book, and I saw a quote, and I was like, fuck, this is really, really good. And then I turned to the references, and it was Slavoj Žižek. Like, the guy who debates Jordan Peterson for fun. Mm. I'm like, fuck anyway um so so i guess it's everybody pat your bags we'll be setting up the, the label podcast bunker um donations yep. of tin food well, you'll be li- you'll be, you can listen to the label podcast on the hour every hour <laughs> It's just me and Lucy screaming slowly into drive the void. You insane. <laughs> yeah. that, see, that's making me think of like you know the Mitchell and Webb sketches on the event and the like subterranean <laughs> yeah, the post-apocalypse sketches. I, I remember those. Uh-huh. It's day hundred and forty-two of the event. Yeah. <laughs> Do not think about the event. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the outcome of the like dystopian, like worst-case scenario. We keep doing what we're doing thing. But it's yeah. good to know you'll you'll be in your bunker, like still recording. Oh, we'll be entertaining people. Even, even, even when you know the world has ended and the internet is broken and there is no way of us, we'll still be talking. We'll still just be <laughs> microphones in front of ourselves, just talking into like yeah. into mirrors, pretending there are <laughs> we people. Know, there. We, we know nobody's listening to this. It's just me and Alice in a bunker. <laughs> <laughs> That's not that different from our normal <laughs> listenership. So. <laughs> No, to be fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so if you've enjoyed this incredibly depressing episode of the Label Podcast, um, you can uh, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, you know they are our AI overlords, so you know go and go and give them your money and give us some praise at the same time. We bow, we bow down to them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oz, where can people find out a bit more about you? What's the plans uh, looking like for you ahead for the rest of the year and beyond? Yeah, um, right now I'm writing a book on the history of transgender medicine because I contain multitudes. Um, and 
this is where I regret not having an easily Googleable website. I'll just say just <laughs> it would be easiest to Google my name to find my website than it would be for me to spell my website painstakingly out online. We will also um, put it in the show notes. So send us a link and we'll yes. make sure that that's in our Send us a link and we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the rest for you. Absolutely. Fantastic. Basically, do what Alice did and just do a Google search. <laughs> Sounds good. You, you will find them. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Oz. This has been a fascinating chat. A lot of it, I will I will admit, has gone straight over my head, but it has been fascinating to to listen to, uh, you know, about AI, learn a little bit more about AI and, and not be so frightened of it. Because at the end of the day, it is a big pivot table. So, <laughs> not as panicked as I was about 40 minutes ago so thank you i'm i'm actively more panicked but um <laughs> that she alice is preparing the bunker yep Excellent. we will see you all next time broadcasting from underground bye-bye <laughs> don't wake tora thanks for listening to the label podcast if you like the show you can rate review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at labeled pod this episode was edited by adam hall our music was by Maisie crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved <laughs> <laughs>